Welcome. You are listening to The Mindful Minute, meditations created for everyday joy. I'm your host, Meryl Arnett, and my passion is making meditation accessible and enjoyable. This podcast is recorded from my live Monday night meditation class, where we have a brief discussion followed by a guided meditation. If you would like to access these meditation practices as standalone audio files for your daily practice, please subscribe to my newsletter at merylarnett.com. It's free and you'll receive a new mini meditation each week, along with behind the scenes content and bonus material for each podcast episode. All right, let's grab a cup of tea, a comfy seat, and settle in for today's practice. Well, listeners, welcome to another episode of The Mindful Minute. Thank you for being here. You know, we are sort of journeying through the season of of winter and the season, the series of winter. We've been talking in the last several episodes about winter and what that looks like in our external landscapes, wherever you might be in the world, as well as our internal landscapes. We've listened to the sounds of winter. We've talked about wolves and our animal nature. And today we are going to dive a little bit into the creativity of winter. Um, And I have mentioned, I think in multiple episodes at this point that I find this particular season to be one of deep, deep creativity, even if it's not productive creativity, um, but maybe inspiration is a better word. And because I find that I'm sort of constantly creating new stories and new meditations, I also am constantly looking for sources of inspiration. And I have a pocket full of places I go when I'm like, I just need a little bit of wonder, a little bit of joy or beauty. And one such place is my favorite illustrated newsletter. It's on Substack. It's called Dandelion Seeds. And today I am with the author, illustrator, visual storyteller, creator of Dandelion Seeds, Candice Rairdon. Thank you for being here, Candice. Thank you so much for having me, Meryl. It's wonderful to be here. And thank you for that beautiful introduction. Yeah. Over here. So thank you. (laughs) It's really true. It's really true. And um, I don't know if you find the same thing, but I, I, I just have a handful of places that I go, whether it's a poet or a musician or a writer, but there are just places that fill me up, even if I'm not creating from what they said, although we're going to talk about, I did indeed create from something you created. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's really special to have places that are sources of inspiration. So thank you for that. Absolutely. So maybe we'll start, you could tell us a little bit about who you are and where you are in the world and what it means to be a visual storyteller. (laughs) Hmm, I love that question. Um, No, I mean, you put it all so beautifully. I'm a writer and artist, um, and I've had a lot of different iterations, I think, of how I have expressed myself creatively in my very wandering uh, professional path that I've taken. Um, And the latest iteration is Dandelion Seeds, an illustrated newsletter um, that I started a year ago. Um, I love the question where I am in the world because that has the answer to that has changed recently. Um, and so I'm very excited to share that up until last summer, I lived in Uruguay in South America, which is where my husband is from. I was there for seven years. Mm-hmm. And last June, we 
uprooted ourselves and moved to Belgium, um, to the beautiful city of Antwerp. Um, my husband is an architect. We uh, That's one of the things that drew us together was that we have a lot of shared creative passions and interests. Um, and so he is an architect and one of his dream studios is here in Antwerp. And mm. so last year he decided to just kind of go for it and apply to them. And they hired him uh, purely through Zoom interviews. And we thought, okay, we're going to we're going to move continents <laughs> with a toddler. And I uh, was also pregnant in the time. And so we moved our family um, here to Belgium. That is so incredible to me. You know, I have to tell you, this is an aside. Um, but many, many years ago at this point, I mean, before my son was born, so like 10 years ago, maybe, <clears throat> we, uh, my, my husband and I took a trip to Argentina and we did oh, wow. a day trip into Uruguay. And to this day, it is my most favorite place I've ever visited in the world. And That's I just amazing. love that you lived there for seven years. I would, totally, so <laughs> I would totally live there. It was stunningly beautiful. Stunningly beautiful. I love hearing that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm sort of leaping all over the place and I apologize for that. I was really excited to talk to you. And that means I don't get very organized when that happens. I'm, I'm here for the leaps. Let's go. <laughs> Where know, are we going one, next? One of the things that really strikes me is often in your newsletter, you mention collaborating with your husband, which mm. I sort of love. And I would love to hear just a little bit about what that's like and and how that evolved to be as it is. It's really a cool thing. Yeah. I mean, as I just said, we really, that was really one of the things that brought us together. Um, we met in Norway, uh, in an artist house in the very far North mm -hmm. of the country. And we just sort of started to have lunch together every day and we had dinner. And at one point, uh, in one of our meals, he mentioned that he had packed a sketchbook with him for his trip, but that he hadn't used it yet. And I was like, I'm a sketch artist, like you, you need to be sketching. And so I went, we both had these moleskin pocket sketchbooks. Mm. And so I went and got mine and showed it to him. And he was, he said that really inspired him. And so then he started to sketch on the rest of his trip. Um, and we both love photography. We both play guitar and love music. And so that was really just this unfolding of like, just kind of seeing all these different points that we connected on. Um, and it just really led very naturally from there to where now, um, I've mentioned before in Dandelion Seeds, like there isn't a word I write that he doesn't hear, poor guy, like he hears everything multiple times, probably. <laughs> um, his big joke is that it'll be like 1157 at night and I'll be like, can I read you an essay? And he's like, no, <laughs> not an essay, please don't. <laughs> so after like, I'm getting better at like catching him earlier in the night. Mm. Um, he just, uh, at certain points when I've worked on different projects, one time I went to the Singapore to paint a mural in a, the office for Uber there. And the woman that had hired me to do that project, she was like, so what does your, what does your husband think of you? You know, came from Uruguay to Singapore. And I said, to say that he supports me is like the understatement of the year. It's like, he's in the trenches with me creatively. Mm -hmm. um, he just gets me and gets what I love to do and gets my, the kinds of ways that I love to express myself. Um, and so he was the one that really was encouraging me to start Dandelion Seeds or to start some sort of creative offering. Um, when I started Dandelion Seeds, my firstborn daughter was nine months old and I was really just sort of itching to start creating again. And I was like, I don't know how, like I'm a full-time mom. Is there room in my day to be creating at all? And he was the one that was like, you can do this. Like you can find mm -hmm. new little pockets to, to be creative. 
And so now I, I just consider him like my, you know, the other half of Dandelion Seeds because whether I'm reading him an essay or he'll help me choose which illustrations I should create for an essay. The other day he, he was at work and all of a sudden I just get these texts where he's looking at the homepage of Dandelion Seeds going, maybe you should try a different layout on Substack. Like try the mag. I'm like, but aren't you supposed to be working? Like, what are you doing? Like <laughs> go back to your day. Like, but he's thinking about it even when I'm not even there poking him being like, whatever you do an essay. Um, and so it's, it's the greatest gift really mm. um, to he's, he's my partner in multiple senses of the word, really um, not only in life and in our family, but uh, a creative partner that I couldn't imagine now I can't create without him really um, because he just, that. just helps everything evolve in ways that I couldn't have anticipated really, um, which I, I mean, I'm so grateful for. Yeah. And I think it really highlights something so important for all of us to sort of realize in our own creative pursuits is that we don't create in a vacuum. And I no. think it's easy to think that you do, right? Like I'm going to sit at this desk and I'm going to write this story or this meditation, but it's not a one singular moment that you're alone creating. It's all of these moments in our lives that bring us to the point where we put something on paper or speak it or cook it or whatever your creative expression is, right? No, well, even like a garden in the winter, the, mm. um, the essay that kind of brought us together, um, that all came about because of him. Uh, it was on one of his, uh, like a work visit uh, with his new job here in Belgium. They got to go, the entire studio was invited to the, um, you know, the office, but even better than that, the private gardens of this renowned Belgian landscape architecture firm. Mm. And uh, it's called Wurtz International. And so it was the founder of that company, Jack Wurtz, who he, so Jose came home that night after this visit and I'm like, tell me about it. Show me pictures. You know, just kind of think like, tell me about your day. I can't wait to hear about it. Not expecting what he was about to tell me. And so he shows me all the pictures from the day. And then at the very end, he goes, so wait until you hear what Jacques Wirtz is famous for saying. He goes, he used to say a garden that is not beautiful in the winter is not a beautiful garden. Mm. He goes, what do you, you got to write an essay about that. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like, so now he's like, not only helping me create, but kind of helping me find the sparks of what even to create. Um, and oh. so I credit him that entire story came about because he was, he's like my little scout as well, like out in the world, like kind of finding, <laughs> finding new story ideas hidden wherever and, they are. And that story. So you mentioned that story is what made me say, I have got to talk to this woman for a, for a handful of reasons. And I think like, let's go around those to the back door, but let's start with this. I, I want to give people a sense because they're not looking at it on their screen mm -hmm. of what your stories are like, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not just typed words on a page. It is so yeah. aesthetically different. So let's talk a little bit about the visual storytelling component. Mm -hmm. And then let's go a little bit into the story of like a garden in winter. I'd love for you to share a bit more about how it came about and, and the pieces that you chose to incorporate. I, I love that. Um, so visual storytelling, I really, when I first started out professionally as both a writer and as an illustrator, they were just separate endeavors for me. You know, I would have these writing projects that I was working on, whether it was a book or an article or an essay. And then I was would take off my writing hat and put on my artist hat and would work on illustration projects, whether that was a, a book cover illustration or, you know, a, a mural, any different kind of thing. Um, and then uh, it was in 2017, I think, that an editor from Long Reads, a storytelling site, she reached out to me and she said, we're wanting to start publishing more illustrated essays. And I was like, 
tell me more about this. You know, I had not really read a whole lot of them, didn't know what, what that entailed, what mm. they could look like. And really I credit this wonderful editor for sort of opening up my imagination and helping me realize that I can wear both of those hats at the same time, that I can both tell a story through words and through illustrations. And so what we decided to do, um, this first essay that I wrote for her was called Home is a Cup of Tea. And I hand-lettered the entire essay. And it was almost 3,000 words long, I think, mm. which I had never seen done. Like I'd seen illustrated essays that were a lot shorter where they were all hand-lettered. Um, and I, Jose, again, my husband and I were like, what if we hand-lettered a literary essay? Like, is that, that's not something you really see done, but like, let's just go for it. Um, and so they, these essays, I hand letter them with a digital writing tablet that I plug straight into my laptop into Photoshop. And I'm able to wow. hand letter every word and kind of arrange it on the, the page. Um, and then I create what I call vignette illustrations. So they're not kind of these, you know, big full screen or full scene illustrations, um, but I'll choose elements from a story. So for home is a cup of tea, it would be the different types of mm. teas that I discovered around the world or, you know, mint leaves from Moroccan mint tea, that sort of thing. Um, and I really weave them together. I try to make it very fluid um, on the page. And so there's the hand lettered text and then they'll be embedded with a vignette illustration. Um, and I really want to kind of make it feel very personal so that when someone is reading it, they almost feel like it's a letter for me that I've written mm -hmm. to them, um, that it's not just, you know, a block of text that it's there, there's this personal touch to it. And I hope it's more inviting that way that when you open up, um, one of the illustrated essays that it feels like you're reading, I don't know, a page from my journal almost yeah. is, it is what I'm setting out to try to do. It absolutely does. And it made me, you know, I mean, I really feel like I know you and I don't know you at all, but I'm like, I totally know her. I like read you. I read everything you write, you know? I and love you, that. And you put out a newsletter a week, right? Is that correct? I do. Which, is, which yes. blows my mind. I mean, that's hard, hard. I put out a newsletter a week, but I like, type, I type it and it's still hard. It's still hard to do that. So that's unbelievable. And listeners, um, side note, if you're listening, there will be links in the show notes to that specific story, Home is Like a Cup of Tea, which I love, as well as Dandelion Seeds. And if you go over to YouTube, then I'll have some imagery. So you'll be able to see as oh, we're talking, if, if you're okay with me sharing. <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. <laughs> um, so side note for listeners, be sure you check that out. All right. So your husband goes to this incredible garden and brings home this quote. And so yes. this is the thing that really draws me to your work. And I find that this is not isolated. There are many people in the world who seem to think in this particular way. And maybe we all do. I don't know. But uh, you um, articulate it quite well. Is like something will land in our lap, a phrase, an image, a song. And for whatever reason, you're like this. I must mm -hmm. pay attention to this. Mm -hmm. And it's not that you then tell the story of the landscape architect and his, it's not that, right? It's that that one phrase pulls all these other disparate stories and threads together and you create something entirely your own. And I, I find the same way <clears throat> when I create meditations, it's, I read the, I mean, I hadn't even read the whole essay. I read the title and I was like, this, of course, right? And so, and I just, I was in a course couple of weeks ago with a woman who was writing about 
women's roles in Eastern European towns, like in the early 1900s. Hmm. And she's telling the story of, she's a historian and this is her focus. And she was telling the story of how this came to be her focus. And it was literally the same thing. Like a professor in a class made one aside Mm -hmm. and she was like that. And I was like, oh yeah, we think alike. Cool. So um, I would love to hear about the evolution of like a garden in winter. Well, I love how you just put that, that it's like an invitation to pay attention to to something. And so that was really... I want to say that his visit to this garden was maybe back in September and I didn't start writing the story until late November, really. Um, and that whole time I was just sort of mulling over this phrase where I just kept asking myself, what does it mean to be like a garden in the winter? It was just, it was like a, a Buddhist koan. Like I just mm. kept returning to it. It was this invitation. It was a mystery. It was a question I didn't immediately know the answer to, which is always a lot of fun. And like, I find that really love to kind of dive into something that I, I can't immediately answer where it's like just a, an invitation to go on a journey with a question really. And so I just kind of kept thinking about it and thinking about it, especially, and it was fun to be back in the Northern hemisphere um, after living in Uruguay for seven years and having, I grew up in the Northern hemisphere. And so it was always, you know, fun to have the seasons in reverse, but there was something about coming back uh, to the the seasons I'm more familiar with. Mm. And so as we grew more and more close to winter, I got to sort of watch the world itself put on its winter clothes and watch the leaves fall from the trees. And so there was just a really beautiful mirroring between what was happening in the world and in nature around me. And with this question that I had been pondering and dwelling on for a couple of months. Um, And it really just, I think when you have a question like that, the universe starts to help you answer it and just sort of kind of give you little clues to what the answer to that question is. And so Mm -hmm. As I wrote in the essay, there was just this one night where I was laying in bed and again, began to think about that question. And I started to think back to right on our final days in Uruguay before we got on the plane to go to Belgium. And I just thought I was visually put myself back in our living room and our apartment in Montevideo and how we just we had decided to sell all of our furniture. And by the last week we were sleeping on an air mattress in our living room because our bedroom was too full of boxes and suitcases. And we had one chair left. And on our last night, Jose's mom and sister and aunt came over to help us pack and we're all eating on the floor. And we had like two spoons left. And I just <laughs> thought we shed our leaves. That, that, that mm. was it. That was, that was the moment. Uh, when I was like, we became a garden in the winter when we got to Belgium because we had shed everything, not only our stuff, you know, this furniture we'd spent seven years in Uruguay accumulating, but in Uruguay itself, Jose grew up there. It was his home. And so our lives were so, our life was so full. We always had somewhere to be, someone to see, you know, his entire family, his entire friend network, his best friends he's known since he was two. Mm. It was so full. And I was like, we were a garden in the summer there. And then we got to Belgium and I just, the, the kind of the, the space was very unsettling all of a sudden to be able to, to see our branches. Finally, you know, we had shed our, our beautiful summer coats of the bright green leaves. And all of a sudden we were just these like stark trees basically. Um, and it was, I was seeing that mirrored in all of our, the beautiful parks that we live in here in Antwerp we have around us. And all of a sudden now in winter, these parks felt huge in the summer. 
And now with all their, their leaves gone, like you can see through the park and you can see the buildings on the other side. And you're like, well, it's actually not that big. Like you sort of, <laughs> it's just different the way the, the perception of things can change in a different season um, and with a different appearance. And so that was really the journey that I went on to kind of understand for me in my own life, what it means to be like a garden in the, in the winter is to sort of have everything that you're used to filling your life with, to have it stripped away and realizing how unsettling it was, but also there's a, you get to glimpse your truth and glimpse your mm -hmm. essence really. Um, and in the case for Jose and myself, it was an essence that we realized we were happy with, that we were glad to be together, even mm -hmm. if we were alone in the world for the first time in our relationship, we were glad that we were the two, it was the two of us and our daughter, Elena, we have another daughter on the way and we're like, this is good. Like, it's okay. You know, we're really unsettled. We're really uprooted. But what we have here is something that we're really grateful to have. Um, and so, and I'm, I'm grateful we came to that realization because I think it can also, the opposite can be true where kind of when everything's stripped away and you realize, oh, there's something here I need to change, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. And so I think the, that's what, um, one of the gifts of winter, I think when mm. there are those things stripped away that you can kind of have a, a sort of a truer chance to evaluate um, what the foundation and the essence is is saying to you. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I, as I was reading that, so I have not had that experience. I'm in Atlanta. I was mm. born and raised in Atlanta, my partner mm -hmm. too. Like we have been here our yeah. whole lives. Um, so I, that is not an experience I know. And yet, as I was reading your essay and as I was reflecting on that phrase, <clears throat> I was thinking about my my partner and I have been together a very long time. We got together very young. And so we are um we're on year 24 of being oh together. That's amazing. And I, I had this moment where I was like, it that phrase for me is almost a summation of the of our relationship because you know how it changes right you start and you're like beautiful in spring and everything's amazing mm -hmm. and you love your partner and things have so much promise and then i think there's absolutely a phase somewhere in the middle where you're like oh the leaves are falling off <laughs> it's like oh uh oh <laughs> how do we feel about these branches right exactly you're like what's that scar I haven't seen that scar before right yeah and then you're in the winter where it's like all of those leaves have fallen off all of those mm -hmm. blooms have faded and risen and faded again and you're left with these bare bones and you're like and for me and again I'll repeat what you said I'm so grateful for this that depth of connection of mm -hmm. like really being seen even when you don't have a single bloom on you is yeah. so powerful it's so mm -hmm. rich and important um yeah it's interesting and so listeners maybe as we're just like riffing on our own experiences you're thinking about like mm -hmm. what, what does that mean in your life right yeah. what does that mean whether you're thinking in a relationship or not whether you're moving or not whether you're you know wherever you might be in your phase of life, yeah. what does that bring up for you? It's so interesting to reflect on. I think another really interesting phrase that for your listeners who haven't had a chance to read the essay yet, what I was especially struck by when I started to do research into Jacques Wirtz and what he meant when he said that, that a garden that isn't beautiful in winter isn't a beautiful garden. It was what inspired him and the firm to this day, they still do this. They use a lot of hedges and trees um in their designs there's not a lot of flowers or things that change a lot through the seasons mm. and one of the articles i read about him said that they use trees with strong branch systems that hold 
their shape, even when there aren't leaves there. And so that phrase also kind of became another sort of Cohen for me as I was reflecting on what it means to be a garden in the winter was like, what does my strong branch system look like? You know, what mm. does that, what, how, what is my shape? Even when kind of all of the, the external uh, color in life has fallen off, you know, what is, where am I still standing strong? Um, and so yeah. just thought I would share that phrase as well. I love that. And so you mentioned koans twice. So let's veer a little bit into the contemplative. And I know you have mm-hmm. a your own mindfulness practice. And I know you've done some work with calm, which I really want listeners to hear about. So tell me a little bit about how mindfulness shows up in your life, what that looks like. Absolutely. Um, I think I was exploring mindfulness before I knew it was called mindfulness. And before I knew that there was this sort of very... Uh, intentional way to be more mindful. Um, I was a traveler for a long time. Uh, I traveled full-time in my 20s. Um, That's how I got my start as a writer, was as a travel writer. And my start as an artist came because I started to carry a sketchbook with me when I was traveling. Um, And that one sketchbook uh, really opened me up to what it means to be more mindful. Um, Sketching was my first sort of way of becoming more present basically. Mm. Um, because when I used to travel, but even just in my day-to-day life, um, was always constantly running and, you know, running after the next story, asking myself, what's the story? What's the story kind of projecting forward. And what I immediately fell in love with, with sketching was just be here now, just be here in this moment. And I, my very first travel sketch I ever created was in Portugal. Um, and I was sitting on the banks of the Jura River in Porto, and I did my first sketch, and then I literally journaled right after that. I said, I feel like for the first time, I've become the camera where the aperture of my mind is opening up, and the photo, the the place is being impressed on me and not just on, you know, I, I grew up with taking, doing film photography, so the metaphor was, you know, I'm the negative, I'm the one that's being imprinted uh, mm-hmm. with the impressions of this place, and so that was really my gateway into mindfulness uh, was sketching because it was the first thing that really the first kind of mindfulness practice that taught me how to just be here now and not be always looking ahead at the next place I needed to visit the next story I was going to try to pitch or next door I was going to try to write. Um, And it evolved from there uh, really where Mm -hmm. I then discovered meditation kind of after the fact was like, Oh, I can also have the same feeling of presence without a sketchbook in my hands that I can discover presence just through my own being and my own body as my own breath as well. Um, and so, and then after that is when calm reached out to me about starting to write, uh, what they call sleep stories. Um, and so it felt like a, just another natural extension, um, mm-hmm. something that I had already discovered and already was really taking a place of great value in my life. And then I got to sort of journey, uh, into mindfulness professionally. So yeah, that's a, a brief little <laughs> yeah. sojourn there. You know, I have been thinking a lot about, um, <clears throat> I have taught meditation for so many years at this point, mm-hmm. and I really believe in its capacity to allow us to be well. Mm-hmm. And I have really noticed, particularly I think since 2020, a common refrain of like, I am meditating and I am still unwell. Like I am still Mm -hmm. feeling anxious. I am still dealing with fear. I am experiencing these more intense um, emotions. 
and I've been paying attention to the things that come, come together to create a sense of wellness or balance that isn't just meditation. And I'm really working this year to make sure I incorporate this in the podcast too, is like, it's not only this one thing that allows us Mm -hmm. to be well. It's not only sitting on a cushion for 10 minutes or 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. There are all these other pieces. And this phrase has stuck with me for quite a while. It came from one of my teachers, Chanti Takarante Perez, who's also an artist. Mm. And she said, just as an aside one day, she was like, you know, every culture eats and sings and dances and does art, you know, I don't remember the whole thing, does art. And and I had added to that and tell stories about the stars. And Mm -hmm. since then I have been thinking about like, these are pieces that make us well. I'm not an artist. I cannot even draw a stick figure, right? But there is something to being creative. There is something to connecting to nature, to eating food that is, ancestral or local or feels good Mm -hmm. for your body. There's something to singing. Um, So as you were talking about sketching being this first connection to mindfulness, I really feel Mm. that. I I feel that. And I invite that for our listeners to think about is it's not just sitting on a cushion. That's a piece of it. Don't ignore it. I want you to do that. (laughs) (laughs) And there are other threads to weave into that. It's also something I've learned since becoming a mom over the Mm. last two years. Um, I read a really interesting book called Domestic Monastery, where uh, I can't, I'm blanking on the author's name at the moment, but they explore this idea that since becoming a mom, I don't have the time all the time to to sit down and, you know, do the Mm -hmm. formal meditation practices. But something they say in this book is that our home is our monastery that we don't have to remove ourselves that just our day-to-day lives have so many opportunities for connecting with ourselves and with our breath. And I I find myself, I might just be on a walk with my daughter in her stroller and I will come home to my breath and come home to myself. And it's, I'll meditate even um, out in the world. I've got my daughter in front of me, I'm walking, but I'm still, I'm meditating. I'm having Mm -hmm. that same awareness um, that, I would normally have when I was having a more formal meditation session. So that goes to me, connects exactly with what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to look up that book. I love that. Um, What goes into writing a sleep story? (laughs) Tell me about that process. So what I loved about it was, because when I was a travel writer, like I mentioned just a few minutes ago, there's always, I always felt this pressure to find the story, to find the angle, to find, you know, one of the things mm-hmm. travel editors want to hear is they always want to know why now. So, okay, so great. You went to Porto, but why, why should people go now? You know, what's the new angle? Oh, there's new ways to try port in Porto. You know, those kind of things. I always felt so much pressure to meet that. And when I first started writing for Calm, it felt like I just got to take this giant breath uh, of fresh air and just write about a place because it was beautiful and there was something about it that might maybe was interesting, but it didn't have to, didn't have to sell it necessarily. I just had to transport people there, which is always why I fell in love with travel writing in the first place. Um, And so I should say in sleep stories, there are are different kinds of stories that calm, right? So they have fiction stories, they have more imaginative tales, but I was, uh, I would write place-based more travel sleep stories. And so 
my job was to transport people uh, all over the world, which I loved doing. I've written about 40 stories for them, I think. Wow. Um, and so it might be about Norway, going to Norway to see the Northern Lights. And a lot of them are written in second person, which I love. So it's like, okay, now you're standing on the shores of the Lofoten Islands in Northern Norway, and your eyes are fixed on the horizon waiting for that first glimmer of green. And you just get to transport people, which mm -hmm. is what I love. And the whole idea of a, of a sleep story is that it's meant to, you know, I think for, for me and my own experience, for a lot of people, it's so hard when you're trying to fall asleep to just cut off and disconnect and let the day, you know, whatever happened in that day doesn't need to come with me into sleep, but we still bring it anyways all the time. Right. And it just keeps us up. And so sleep stories are just designed to sort of be this like very peaceful bridge and to sleep and to give yourself permission to not ruminate or to be constantly just thinking back over what went wrong today. What did I not do? What do I need to do tomorrow? Just, you don't have to think for just a few minutes and just be taken somewhere beautiful um, yeah. and somewhere that maybe has something to teach you. I always loved when I got to kind of write about um, a really fascinating aspect of a place and there's kind of like a gentle, um, not educational, but like interesting aspect. Um, and so yeah, that was why I love writing sleep stories for that because it just sort of um, took the pressure off a of place. I just got to to celebrate it and and make you discover why I love Norway or Colombia or or Thailand. Oh, I love that so much, and I I love the reflection of like taking the pressure off content, right? Whatever that yes, is, whether yes. you're the person ingesting the content and like feeling the need to make it meaningful or make it make sense for you. Mm -hmm. where you're the one creating the content. I love this idea of like allowing there to be air breath with woven mm -hmm. in that. That's really lovely. Which I think is what I am very grateful for with Dandelion Seeds as well, is that mm -hmm. again, it's, it's given me a home for the kind of writing and stories that I love to tell the most where there's, there's no pressure on these stories. You know, there's stories that I would never, ever be able to sell anywhere. It's like, I wrote an illustrated essay about going to pick uh, walnuts with my daughter in one of our new local parks here in Antwerp. It's like that story would never be sold. <laughs> like, it's why now? I don't know because it was a beautiful moment with my daughter. Yeah. And but it's the things that you know to go back all the way to the beginning of our conversation. It's those are the moments that I'm I feel called to pay attention to, and to share with people. And so I'm you know I was grateful for um, the many years I spent writing for Calm, and now I'm grateful to have dandelion seeds um, to sort of celebrate the more quiet moments that don't often get airtime uh, mm. in, in more traditional outlets. And because of that, it invites us into our own space of mindfulness, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, it, one, yeah. one, of the, one of the things I've really struggled with, I think, particularly in like, I'm going to call it the wellness world, is mm -hmm. there is also such an angle of like, do this thing. Let me tell you mm -hmm. the one trick that's going to make everything better in your life. You only have to X. Mm -hmm. And that's such a miserable feeling to ingest, mm -hmm. right? I, I have to do this thing now. Oh, no. And in, in dandelion seeds, there's nothing I need to do. Right. There, mm. there is no like, go do this thing, go buy this thing, fix your life in some <laughs> way. No, it's like, let's think about tea today. Yes, I would yeah. love to think about tea. Thank you mm -hmm. for inviting me to reflect on picking up walnuts. It, mm -hmm. It's so spacious. And mm -hmm. I also like I there's almost a sense of meandering, right? And so you mm -hmm. you shared 
like a garden in winter, and then you followed it up with blooming in winter. Tell us a little mm. bit about how this how this progressed or what else was percolating in your mind, even as you shared a singular story. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I just want to say my eyes are so full of tears right now because that was just so beautiful. So thank you. Um, and just quickly before getting into bloom in the winter, I love what you said because it's something that I notice a lot when uh, people write to tell me that what they appreciate about dandelion seeds. They'll often say things exactly like what you just said, like, oh, it helps me feel more present or it's, it uplifts me or it's like I feel calmer. And I'm realizing it's sort of like this ninja mindfulness. <laughs> like, like I had no agenda with starting this, but I'm like, it's everything that I used to do with calm. It's sort of kind of like remanifesting itself very naturally. And I love that it's not something I set out to do, like write these stories that help you feel more mindful in your day. Right. Um, but it seems to sort of be kind of what's happening organically, which makes me very happy because it's mm. something that mindfulness is such a big part of my life. And so I love that these stories sort of are having this, un, you know, un, not unintended, but or unforeseen, um, you know, sort of a, a gift um, mm. for people to enjoy. So I love that you said that. Um, but yeah, bloom in the winter. So when I was, I, when I do my illustrated essays, I always write the story first because I think I love being both a writer and artist, but I think secretly in my heart, will always be writer first. It's just mm. sort of what I, I identify with the most. Um, and so I always write the story first. And then the big question comes of, okay, what do I illustrate to, to bring it to life visually? And when I finished writing Like a Garden in the Winter and Jose, you know, because he's my, my art director uh, as well as husband, we were sitting there talking one night. I'm like, what do I, what should I illustrate for, for the story? And everything that kind of the, the more obvious choices just weren't resonating with me where I was like, I don't want to draw, I don't want to paint branches, like empty branches devoid of leaves. Or um, we had this idea to like show the same tree in four different seasons. Um, and I thought maybe like fallen leaves, all the leaves mm. that we saw throughout autumn here and Antwerp, you know, Oh, let's, let's do a, a horse chestnut leaf or, and a beech leaf. And and all these kind of like sort of dead things or things that, you know, had been stripped away. And I just, that wasn't the place that I was in in my life at that moment. Um, I just gave birth to our second daughter uh, a week before Christmas. And so in the heart of winter, when things are being stripped away, I suddenly found myself sort of welcoming new life into our home and our family. And so I was wanting to celebrate that as well. And so I'd written this story about leaves falling from trees, but I was like, that's not really what I'm drawn to the paint. And so the one image I did have in my mind that I just couldn't stop thinking about um, happened at the very beginning of my time as a traveler in the world. I once saw snowdrops uh, in the heart of winter in Oxford, England. I spent my very first six months in the world in London and I took the day trip to Oxford. It was freezing cold, snow was on the ground. And I, for whatever reason, walked through the botanical gardens of Oxford and I saw snowdrops for the first time in my life. And when I started to write like a garden in winter, they just came back to me for some reason. I just started thinking about these snowdrops. And so I said to Jose, I was like, the one thing I do really feel inspired to paint are snowdrops and which are one of the first flowers to bloom in the year. They either bloom in the winter itself or in very early spring. They're sort of like these harbingers of spring. And Jose said, okay, well then paint them. Like, doesn't matter if they're not in the story. That's what you've feel like is, you know, you want to express visually to go with this story and then do that. And he's like, why don't you do other flowers that also bloom in the winter? And it just became this sort of second 
hidden story that I was weaving through like a garden in the winter. And so there was the story itself, but then the illustrations are all of these flowers that I, I tried to put a lot of flowers that have meaning for me. And so there were the snowdrops, which I saw myself. And then there are spring star flowers, which are native to Uruguay and Argentina, mm. um, which I fell in love with um, two years ago when I was pregnant with our first daughter, I got pregnant in winter. And so as I'm walking all over Montevideo, walking to my first appointments, the first ultrasound, I saw these tiny little star-shaped, beautiful, like light purple flowers dotting dotting the grassy hillsides. And I was like, what are, what are these flowers? And so I put them in my nature app, took a picture of them like spring star flower. What a, what a beautiful poetic name. Um, but they're also one of the first flowers to, to bloom in the year. Mm. And so I created this collection of four different flowers that bloom in the winter or in the early spring. Um, and I just loved, loved the idea, this kind of second story of even in the heart of winter, there are things that are still growing and are bringing color and joy to our lives. And I love that the story kind of has these like two messages now sort of woven through it. Beautiful. If you were to offer listeners sort of a mindful reflection, what would you mm-hmm. offer them out of these stories? Well, I feel like I, what I've loved about learning about these flowers um, and it's what I love about nature in general is just, I feel like it's just filled with metaphors and filled with meaning that we can learn from and draw from to bring growth and and learning to our own lives. I fell in love learning about why these flowers bloom in the winter. That was the first question I started to ask when I decided that I wanted to paint them. I'm like, why do snowdrops? Why are they the first to appear? And I felt like each flower really had something unique to offer us, some unique lesson. Um, And so I would, what I would offer to your listeners is, I have these four flowers that I illustrated for the story. Um, and I put together a little image that I think you're going to share mm-hmm. um, uh, with them is to maybe do a little bit of reading about them and see if they're a flower that really speaks to you with where you're at in your own journey right now and the season of life that you're in, whether you're in a winter, or maybe you're in a summer right now, if you're listening from the Southern hemisphere, um, each of these flowers has its a really special story to tell, I feel like. So snowdrops, one of the reasons that they bloom in the winter is because they take advantage of all the sunlight that is coming down when the tree canopy is not yet filled with leaves. And so I love this idea that before life fills up, before the canopy is filled with leaves, what are you able to draw nourishment from at this moment in your life? Uh, for spring star flowers, they are bulb flowers, which I have recently kind of become fascinated with why spring bulbs bloom so early is because they need what's called a chilling period. They need the cold of winter. They need like a shock of cold temperatures, some good old frosty mornings. And then when that first hint of warmth comes in, it wakes them up again. And so I just started kind of to think of my own life, like when have I needed a chilling period before I could grow before I could bloom, you know, maybe for, for your listeners, like, is there a moment in life when things got really cold and dark, but that was exactly what you needed for your next period of growth and, and flourishing. Um, and then winter berries, I also, which are part of the Holly family. I was very curious about them, like what's going on there. And so they're one of the, the types of Holly plants that lose their leaves and yet their berries remain. And so I just started to think like for us in our lives, you know, are there things that we, we lose? And yet there are also things that we hold on to, even in periods of uh, when the world seems really cold and dark and not, not a lot is going on. We're still holding on to this little moment of color and uh, mm-hmm. sustenance even. 
um, you know, because they're wet feed birds and deer, perhaps I might, might be making that up, uh, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I think that's what I read. So there's just this, I feel like each flower sort of has an invitation to think in, in your own life, you know, what have I, what am I holding on to? What have I let go? What am I able to draw nourishment from? Even when it seems like there aren't a lot of things to be drawing from at the moment. Mm. All right, listeners, grab your journals, answer those questions for yourself. <laughs> so good. Candice, uh, are there any projects or stories that you're working on that you're particularly excited about? Yes. Um, and it's so fresh. Just yesterday, um, we, I, I think I've discovered the sequel to Like a Garden in the Winter, um, <gasps> because here in Antwerp, we discovered there's this annual tradition of what's called a picking garden, um, mm. where every January they choose a big open square in the city and they fill it with tulips. Um, and so yesterday in the opera square, there were a hundred thousand tulips that were still attached to their bulbs. Speaking of spring bulbs, um, there were just rows, just imagine like a tulip field, but in a city. So there mm. were just rows and rows of these crates that were filled with just one tulip after another that were still attached to their little bulb. And everyone was invited to come and pick 15 tulips for free. It was an initiative of the government to bring spring into the home and to celebrate the start of the spring growing season here in Northern Belgium. Um, and I was, just ecstatic. Like I was in my element inside my camera. I was just taking pictures of everybody, just soaking it all in. Um, and so, and that, that's kind of like my next Cohen to figure out mm. is like, what was up with those tulips in the opera square? Like, why do they mean so much? And what was so amazing was both on our way to the square to see it happening. And then when we're leaving, just the sight of everyone in the city had tulips in their arms that day. Ooh, you know, they were just crying. crying. It was, it was so powerful and so beautiful. And I don't know what it means yet, but I know that's what I'm going to be diving into the next few weeks. Um, and I am so excited to kind of, I'm, it's very unintentional. I'm not even a gardener myself. I'd love to be, we live in the city at the moment, so I can't really do that. But this like kind of garden theme is really unfolding for this year um, mm. that I'm excited to just sort of embrace and see what the summer garden story is. Cause it seems to be a theme that's happening at the moment. So yeah, that's what should be coming next on dandelion seeds is, is uh, figuring out what does it mean to be a picking garden uh, full of tools? Oh, I love it. I cannot wait to read it. Listeners, the link to subscribe will be in my show notes. So make sure you do that. <laughs> um, I'm literally trying not to cry at that image. That's so beautiful. And I love like, what does it mean to bring spring into your home? And yeah. the meditation that I have been working on that's going to be released next week, listeners, is about snow melting and this idea mm. that even under that, like mm -hmm. hyacinth are pushing up, you know, like there, yes. things are happening even when you can't see it. Um, and I, I work a lot with nature sound recordists mm. and I didn't know that melting snow has a sound, like an incredible wow. sound, an incredible sound. And wow. I didn't know, I mean, I, also I live in Georgia, we get very little snow here. So <laughs> Maybe other people are like, that's common knowledge. It is not for us Southerners. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. So beautiful invitation, Candace. Thank you for taking time to talk to us today, for sharing some of your images and words with us. Uh, this was really special. Thank you. No, this has been a highlight of, I would say, the week or even the month for me. So thank you so much for, for the opportunity to connect. My pleasure. 
Thanks for listening to the Mindful Minute. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving me a review wherever you get your podcasts. This helps others to find the show. And let's face it, we could definitely use more meditators in this world. The Mindful Minute is recorded on Muskogee land and produced with the support of Brianna Nielsen Virtual Assistance. To join my live classes, ask questions, or learn more about my teacher trainings, please visit MerrillArnett.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you guys next week.